No parent should have to bury their child. We have all experienced losing someone we care about once or twice in our lifetime. It's painful, but somehow we find a way to cope because it is the natural order of life. But nothing is more painful than losing a child. No one can identify with it unless they have experienced it themselves. And losing your child doesn't seem right because children should outlive their parents, right? Sometimes parents have to bury their children, and it is complicated when you are on the outside looking in, wondering what to do, what to say, and how to be there for your friend. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the When Friends Wine podcast. I'm your host, Tammy, and I'm here with my bestie and co-host, Rashida. Today, we have a tough topic to discuss, losing a child. As I support Rashida through the 25th anniversary of losing her first child, we hope this conversation can help someone experiencing this or dealing with something similar. Listen in. Hi, everyone. I am your co-host, Rashida, and um, this is going to be a, a tough topic that we're going to be sharing with you all today. Um, as Tammy said, that this is the 25th anniversary of me losing my son. And his name was William R. Mason III, also known as Trey. And so um, I haven't uh, really talked about the days and the months leading up to his death before. And as I was sharing with um, Tammy earlier today that I pulled out my box um, today that I had a lot of um, memories and pictures and um, many don't know, but I actually journaled through the whole um, events leading up to his death. So just to um, share a little bit about the story, and then I'm gonna also share, cause I, when I pulled out the box, I actually found the final autopsy in which I hadn't read. And so here we are 25 wow. um, years later that I'm gonna um, share that part with you all here on the um, podcast today. So, so you've never seen the autopsy at all. This would be your first time like really reading it. Reading it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So like it was it was hard for me. Like, you know, like the doctors told me that the the actual cause of death was pneumonia. Um, I didn't know that inside the autopsy, they actually tell you like the time of death, like all of the things that they found and things like that. It's an extensive document, but then they have, you know, like a, a summary in there. But I know, you know, like when it happened, you know, so much is going on that you really just kind of like, it's almost like an out-of-body experience that so right. much happens that you just don't, you don't want to deal with every aspect of it. It's, it almost feels like you're just floating, to be honest, if I could really express um what it what it feels like but so let me um just ask you a quick question um do you mind sharing his age with the audience yeah so trey was actually born on august 27th of um, 1995 and so that would make him two years old two and a half years old when he actually um passed and mm. so the actual events leading up to his death started on February 22nd. Um, we woke up 
uh, on the 22nd to him vomiting and um, he had a fever. And so like any mom, you don't really think too much of anything about a fever and vomiting. So you kind of go into mommy mode, you call the doctor, you know, try to do Tylenol and things like that, in which we did, um, made him a doctor's appointment and all of that. They, you know, said that it wasn't really anything that they, that he might've had a bug or whatever. And so on February um, 26 is when he actually got admitted into the hospital. And it was because again, woke up like early in the morning vomiting and, um, you know, just, he just, his eyes was like rolling and just, it was a really, really scary kind of situation. So mm. we called 911, um, rushed him to the actual hospital and, um, he, he was like having a hard time breathing and all of that kind of thing. And so they, when, when they are constantly vomiting and things like that, of course, they're going to check your lungs and all of that stuff. So Needless to say, long story short, they checked all of that, found out that he had um, pneumonia. And so they we brought him to a doctor's hospital, but they ended up transferring him to Georgetown Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, and he actually passed away at Georgetown Hospital. And so um, during that time, like I said, I was journaling, I was praying, I was doing everything I could possibly know how to do, you know, as a mother, as I'm going through that. And, um, you know, it actually, it actually happened on, um, on, on Good Friday, which is kind of ironic, you know, Mm. it it happened. And you were a young mom, you were a young mom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then I would say, what was I, 20, 21, 22, around that time. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was a, it was definitely um, an experience. I can only imagine. Well, Rashida, we have so much to unpack. So um, let's pour it up and get started. Um, So what is, let's see, our wine of the week for this week is Nightjar. And this is cheers to Trey, well, as we lovingly call Trey, William R. Mason III. So we are going to pour this up in memory of Trey today. Okay. So today's wine is going to be Nightjar. And Nightjar is actually a American wine. It's actually a signature from Cooper's Hawk Winery located in Wood Ridge, Illinois. And it is intense and velvety. It's mm-hmm. used for um, chocolate and cheese. <laughs> and it is a dessert wine with warm flavors of dried fig, toasted pecan, and cocoa bean. And it finishes along with a hint of fruit preserves. So we're going to... That sounds good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that oh, sounds really good. Tell you. <laughs> so the alcohol content in this one is 18%. So That is high. That's yes, high for a dessert wine. So you get sugar <laughs> and alcohol. I don't know right. if that's a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, oh, my God. Yeah, that's so heavy. This is, this is heavy. Yeah, so, I mean, it's fitting for a heavy topic. So, right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna um 
wine over wine <laughs> today. today. <laughs> yep. And you know, like I'm I'm happy to share because, you know, even though it's a heavy topic topic, it is a, you know, a good news story at the end. So Okay. So first, you know, I want to ask, how are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? I'm doing okay. You know, although it's been 25 years, um, you never forget. You definitely never forget. And right. this time of the year is always tough for me. It's almost like it, it carries in your body and it's like the season comes and you just, your body just knows that it's coming. Yeah, you and so it. you get, mm -hmm, you get kind of emotional and um you know like I go through my good days and bad days but I kind of use it you know because it's it's almost one of those things where you're just remembering so when the date starts to come you mm -hmm. start to to remember you start to kind of relive but I don't you know like I don't try to focus on the bad stuff I just or the grief part I really just try to focus on the legacy and um, not getting into a sunken place because it's easy to do that if you, you know, if you allow yourself to. So I try to focus on the memories and all of the good stuff. So what would you say is Trey's legacy? Well, Trey's legacy to me is that of bringing hope and smiling through adversity. Mm -hmm. As you know, you know, like um, when I think of him, he was two years old. And so he was always going through, going to the doctor's appointment. So he had a condition, a mitochondria condition um, that kind of affect, he had seizures and it kind of affected, you know, like his digestive, digestive system. And so like with the mitochondria disorder is your systems are basically breaking down one by one. And so mm. his his system that first went was his digestive um, system as what I was saying earlier, you know, like he would vomit whatever he would eat. And so in doing mm. that, it aspirated into his lungs and that's what caused the actual pneumonia. And so he, you know, was always going to appointments. He did go to a special school in Bowie and so, you know, as a as a young mom, I was having to go to appointments all the time. I had just started a new job. Mm -hmm. You know, my thank God I had a job that, you know, kind of worked with me on being absent all the time. But it was definitely a, a journey for him and for us. But him being so young and just always smiling and right. always mm -hmm. just so happy I think you can remember like when he first was born do you remember when we took him on the train to Pentagon yes City? yes in that little <laughs> that was... little that little <laughs> outfit that he had on he was so little... happy mm -hmm. yeah I do remember that I do mm -hmm. yes yes he was always smiling he definitely was um can you um share you said that Trey, you first found that he he felt he fell ill in February. Did he have any health challenges prior to that day? So yeah, he did. So like I said, he had the mitochondria disorder and he had seizures. And so we were always going to appointments, just trying to really just figure out because we didn't get the diagnosis, of course, until later. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine as a as a young mom, I don't I'm not even knowing what to really look for. I just know 
you know, like, okay, at six months, I'm thinking, well, maybe he should be crawling by now or, you know, at one, maybe he should be walking by now. But, you know, these milestones and different things are not happening. And so that kind of like put me in the mode of, okay, maybe I need to start asking my doctor, some his doctor, some questions. And so, of course, they started sending us to Children's Hospital and getting different um, specialists and things like that. And so he was on medication for seizures and um, going to physical therapy and those kind of things. So, yeah, he did have a lot of health challenges early on. So how how did you cope? Like, what were your ways of coping like then and how do you manage today? Well, how I coped, um, I guess I'll say far as with the passing, how I coped, I did initially I didn't. It was mm. I think like I it's almost like you I didn't want to to believe it. And so like I remember like that first day that it actually happened, I came home and I was like doing everything that everything like he was still there like I would Mm -hmm. get up I would make his breakfast I would you know go in and pull out his clothes and stuff like that and you know these things may sound crazy like one crazy thing that I actually did (laughs) which is you know like you would think it is but it's just how trauma and grief works but here I am 21 years old like I literally got in his crib you got in his crib. I got in his crib and I laid in his crib. I can believe that. I can and believe and that. And I laid in his crib and I just cried because that was my way of being close. Close to him. Yeah. And I didn't want nothing touched. Like I didn't want, you know, like I wanted to always be able to smell the scent. Mm. You know, wanted to smell the scent of his of his body and his bed, you know, and all of that. So, you know, so I didn't initially but then after you know I was married at the time so during that time my husband he was very concerned about me and so you know he's like I need you to go and get some help and so I did enter therapy and I actually had to go to therapy for a very long time and you would say that it helped it did it definitely did it was a process but it, I would say therapy, prayer, you know, your, you know, people around you at first, you know, like you're, you go through so many emotions. So you have that sadness, you have that anger. And I definitely, you know, went through all of the emotions and not even just one time, like I would go through them and then I would cycle back and go through it again. But it took a very long time for me to just, you know, move past. And then, you know, like I even found myself at some point, you know, like just being reckless, not caring about nothing, don't want to do nothing, don't want to go nowhere. Right. You know, so you go through all of those emotions and they are definitely normal. So let's talk about our friendship during that season. Um, What, you know, space we were in and you know how we, pretty much got through, you know, tried to maneuver our way through this situation. 
So we, you know, we said that through this podcast, we were really going to be transparent and we share, you know, in previous episodes that, you know, friendships, they go through things and you have your times where they're tested and that, you know, like all the time, everything isn't always um, roses and and hearts and smiley faces. You really (laughs) do, you know, go through things. And so during this season, um, you know, Tammy and I, we had a hiccup in our in our friendship. And so, you know, like we are we're just gonna, you know, kind of unpack that and share, you know, like what that was like and how we came out on the other side. So because at that time when Trey was going through um, his illness and, you know, of course, ending up to his, you know, his passing, we were, what, 22? I think we were 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Rashida, you were married. Um, I was not, of course. I had just had a child. Um, so our children were a year apart. So she had hers and her son in 96 and I had my daughter in 97. So we were both young moms and trying to navigate that whole thing, like, you know, being a mom at a young age like that. And of course she had an extra role. She was also white. So different roles in life, um, you know, different look out views and things like that. So we, we were still, we still saw each other. Um, but because Rashida had a child before me, she, our time together was limited. Um, I understood it, but I didn't, so to speak. So she also was married. So that played another role. She had a husband now, somebody that she had that, you know, kind of like, you know, be there for, you know, things like that. So um, we attempted to hang out. It's a few times we attempted to hang out and it just never worked. So I felt like, I was like, okay, she's married. She don't have time for me or whatever. So I ended up, you know, becoming closer with some other people who we still were cool with. So there was just a particular incident that I think this is why you have to be careful of outside influences. Somebody had said something to her that was totally untrue. And this is what I think really broke me the most. It wasn't that the person said whatever they said was a lie, said something to me about Rashida. It was the fact that she believed it. And I felt like she knew me better than that to believe whatever this negative person was saying. And it basically was just trying to test. It was a test of our friendship. They were trying to put drama in our life or whatever. So needless to say, Rashida was dealing with her emotions and things like that. And so we fell out. We had a falling out. Um, So we didn't speak for a while. Um, I think I found out, I think we, I did end up finding out about Trey being sick and I did come and visit. I did come over and visit. It was a little awkward, but I still wanted to, you know, like show her my support, you know, things like that. Um, after his passing, we definitely were not still on speaking terms, but I did come to the funeral. And I'll just say for me, I felt like I really didn't know how to be there for you. Like I knew that you needed me, but it was difficult for me to, you know, first I'm dealing with the fact that our friendship is no longer the way it used to be because of the negativity. But now we got this whole nother issue. You know, your your son has passed away. How do I be there for my friend? You know, like things like that. So it was very unfamiliar territory for me. And as much as I wanted to be there for Rashida, I was kind of kept away from her. And in, in so to speak, like the outside influences were giving her, you know, giving her information, oh, just saying, right. you know, you need to be 
you don't need to be around your friends right now and basically just focus on your husband and, and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, you know, so like I said, time passed and we didn't speak, but I think she always knew that I was, I would be here for her. Like I, by the time we finally resolved, you know, reconciled our situation, um, I was over it. I was over it. I just wanted to be there for her. I wanted to make sure she was okay and things like that. So, you know, it just, it took time. We, I think I healed in my own way, but again, I felt like I did miss out on being there, being more supportive, you know, to you at the time. And I didn't know how to do it, but also I couldn't do it. So that's my side of, you know, where we were at the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And like you, and like you said, I knew, you know, that when I needed you, you would be there. And so that was the saving grace of it all because we were able to, you know, even it after that time and you being at the funeral and then after the funeral, it was like the line of communication was open. Right. And so we started to, you know, email first and we were like kind of slow walking. Right. Just, you know, like trying to earn out the emotions and the feelings. And you're right. It it's important that, you know, like in your relationships and things like that, like you definitely it you know, losing a child, getting married, being young, all of the things that you're dealing with, they really do um, affect your relationships. And, you know, like she said, outside influences can definitely tear apart, you know, your relationships and cheat you out of, you know, the support and the things that you actually need when you're, when you're going through something. And so, yeah. although you know, we were going through what we did. I knew in my heart that my friend would be there for me when I when I needed her. And she was there, you know, when the funeral actually happened and we were able to um, to find our way back. And so I am, you know, grateful. And a lot of the aspects of during that time, you know, she didn't get to experience or share, but, you know, today, I'm glad that we were able to share this part with you all to just let you know that, you know, your friendships, they're going to be tested. You're going to go through things where you have misunderstandings and things like that. But you really, if you have a friend and you know that that friend is somebody that you care about, then you'll find your way. You definitely right. find your way back. Right. So how do you think losing a child has changed you, if at all? So I would say it definitely changed me as an individual. And I would say it changed me in a good way. And it also, for other people, I think it has changed me in not so good of a way. So one <laughs> thing that I would say um, that, so let me just start with the challenge. So the challenge with losing a child, it makes you um, less, tolerant or um, affected, I'll say. That's the word I want to use. It, it makes you less um, affected by certain things. And so like so, emotionally attached, like you're, you're mm -hmm. less attached emotionally to what people or, you just, know? Just um, people, I would say definitely people and definitely circumstances and death and certain things just don't affect you the same way. So if you think about losing a child, most people would say that is the, 
you know, the hardest thing that you could ever go through or deal with. Right. 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 And so for me, it's like, if, if I can deal with or have coped through that, like not too many other things will have me not bouncing back from. Right. Oh, I understand. (laughs) You understand? understand. So like when I've been in relationships, you know, like my significant others would be like, you seem like you have like this off and on switch. Like you, you know, like you can care one day and not care tomorrow, or it only take you like a couple of days to get over something. Like, what is that about? But that's, (laughs) that's so, so that's what I'm saying. That's, that losing a child has affected your your relationships, your marriages, like romantic, like romantic, you know, friendships, family relationships. How, it has affected it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely has. And so I think people don't understand. It's not really, it's not really that I want to have that that nonchalant kind of attitude. I don't like. I do love, and I love hard when I do. But again, I think that when you've dealt with something so painful and so hurtful, it's just like, it just allows you to be able to deal with other things and they aren't as significant. They aren't as significant. I get as, it. I get it. Yeah. And so, so like, it makes it, you stronger too. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it could be a good or a bad thing. And I have had to kind of, you know, like, be you know be more understanding to another person's experience when they're dealing with me and try to not you know come off that way because I do realize that you know that's their experience with me um so I will say like losing a child definitely changed you in a in a way that it makes you more strong and it makes you more um resilient and when it comes to certain things and you know, like they, it affects all of your relationships in a different way. Like marriages, you probably heard, like it can definitely tear marriages apart. Mm-hmm. And I know with mine at the time, you know, we separated a year after it happened because I was so angry. I blamed him, you know, because, you know, he worked a lot and wasn't around to the capacity that I wanted him to be you know, there for me. And, you know, so when you're dealing with something like that, you're looking for somebody to blame. And he just so happened got majority of the blame. And so it really tore us apart for a year that we had to separate and just not even deal with each other. But Mm. we did find our way back, you know, together to create, you know, my second son, um, Quentin, but it definitely affected, definitely affected my um, marriage and my family relationships. You know, like it affected that to the point where I just didn't want to be bothered because I didn't, you know, like you just are kind of picking apart every single thing that you're dealing with and you're not such a nice person because you're so angry. <laughs> And upset with where everything that you got going on and dealing with, and you feel like you're on an island and nobody really understands. Well, as long as people, they when you're dealing with something, people need to understand you do have to allow the person space to grieve, and it's going to be periods like you say where the anger comes out and things like that. But you have to really understand where it's coming from. But 
I mean, it's 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 just like I said, I always just take my hat off to you because you you you've done an outstanding job of pulling through something like that. I don't know anybody else in my life that has gone through half of the stuff that you have. And this like here was like just like the the biggest thing. So I always tell you that I was like, you know, you were built. You might not feel like it, but you were built to be this strong. I mean, I, I know sometimes it just sounds like, why, but I mean, it's just amazing just to see like the journey, like how far you've come from then and now. So when you show up in the world after losing a child, what, is, what does that look like for you mentally? Like, I know you said you did therapy during the process of, you know, after Trey's passing, but are you continued? Do you feel like you need to still continue therapy today for that? Like, what is, you know, how are you working towards really, taking care of yourself mentally and what is his legacy as far as like what you want to push through? So definitely I'm an advocate for therapy. I, it definitely helped me to yes. be able to just, you know, talk through my emotions, talk about everything. So I needed, I needed that. And even, you know, like that's a traumatic situation and being so young, you know, like I didn't know how to process my feelings. And so therapy definitely helped me to do that. Um, but when I look at the totality of everything, you know, what's important for me, because I did for a time, I wanted to know, you know, cause I am, you know, a believer of, of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, with my relationship with God, like I, I really was like questioning, like why? Why, 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 mm -hmm. why me, you know? And I, you know, in my journey, I've realized that everything happens for a reason. And even when we don't understand, it is all for a purpose. And, you know, it's, it's like one of those things where you're, you, you have scars from things that, that happened to you. And those scars can either, you can look at them, you can remember, and you can say, okay, I won't do that again. Or you can use it as a way to remember and be able to push forward in, you know, another circumstance or another thing that you're going through. And I heard, I learned a new word um, recently, and it was called buoyancy. And it kind of resonated for this for this season because it's a unique recovery. And so it spoke to, you know, you wonder, a lot of people might wonder, you know, like you've gone through so much, how do you, you know, cope and why are you so resilient and can deal with so much? And I think that God has definitely given me buoyancy to be able to push yes. through. Yes. <laughs> to be able yes. to push through. But mm -hmm. I think in my life, I've just kind of used everything that has happened to me or, um, you know, things that I've experienced in life. I think I've just used those things to not only create legacy for my son through, you know, like my support and other people who deal with things that I deal with, but also to, to to just be a light and to be an encouragement and use my life to to show people that you can make it through 
certain situations. Like your circumstances don't have to defeat you or, you know, put you in a place of a downward spiral. Like you do have what it takes because you can see someone else's life. You can see my life and say, okay, she went through A, B, and C. So that gives me hope to know that it's not the end of the world. I can just use whatever I've dealt with in life to push forward for someone else, for your children, for your family, and just be an example of what can be. Well, you pretty much answered the last question. I was just getting ready to ask you. <laughs> I was just going to say, what would you tell someone who had lost a child? And that that sounds exactly like what I think you would tell them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, definitely they would definitely need to pray, keep a support system around them. And like you said, it's just, it, it, it may not, it may not always hurt as bad, but you know, it gets better. Put it like that. Like that's, yeah. you're I mean, never I guess. Gonna forget. Yeah. Right. You're never going to forget. Um, you're never going to get over it as people might say, you know, and I don't think it's, you, you'll, recover in your feelings you don't have to get over it right, right. you shouldn't it's have to like, get it's over okay it. <laughs> right it's like your your feelings aren't going to um always feel bad you're going to get to a place where you're going to find the the memories and the joy of your loved one and the individual and although you may miss them you hold on to the fact that they're not here suffering and dealing with the cares of this world because this world is is brutal. And mm-hmm. all I can say is, is you can, you know, rest assured that they don't have to deal with, you know, all of those adversities and things that life can throw you. And you just, you know, take what what they they showed you and taught you in their in their lifetime and use it to benefit others. Mm-hmm. Use okay, it to benefit to others. So one thing I just wanted to to do this with you all with the um just reading the the final autopsy because like I said I hadn't hadn't read it and so it said the patient began having frequent stools and um a racing heartbeat on the morning of 4/11/1998 later that day he began having mental status changes a blood count was drawn showing a white blood count of 17.7. That evening, the patient had a cardiac arrest and was resuscitated. The patient was transferred to the PICU. Further resuscitation efforts were performed, but the patient's condition worsened. The patient expired at 10.34 p.m. Hmm. So he his the the findings were that he had emerging acute pneumonia, and that he died from that infection. Oh, so he pretty much passed away from pneumonia. Pneumonia. Yep. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I know that was heavy. I know that was, that was hard tough. for you, but yeah. um. Um, no, I'm sending you hugs. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah, I, you know, that was 
a really painful day. It was late. I didn't really, yeah, <laughs> the time, because, like, I got the call early in the morning. And mm -hmm. so, like, 1030 at night, I didn't even realize it was that late. But I am grateful um, that God loaned him to me for that two and a half years that I, like I was that. able to, mm -hmm. you know, that I was able to witness, you know, his joys and his triumphs and his smiles and, you know, all of that. And that I was able to, and that I can today share that love and legacy with my children that I have today with my friend. Right, right. And with, you know, with everybody. And then I hope that, you know, like we're getting older and I'm sure, you know, like we're going to start to experience a lot more loss and be able to, you know, find some kind of um, peace and serenity and support in each other as we continue in this journey called life. Okay. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> all we can do. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that story with Shada. I know it was a lot, but um, I'm sure that it will help somebody, um, you know, in some type of loss. But just, you know, let people know, like you said, to just continue to just stay, stay motivated and prayed up. So, um, what did you think of the wine, the night jar? What night would jar. you rate it? <laughs> All right. So far as the appearance, now I'm going to say this, this bottle is sleek. Yeah, oh, I agree. It's very it's nice. Sleek. It's yeah. black and gold. So it has a, like a, a very nice appearance as far as the, um, the bottle, the aroma. It gives you that dessert, like you can you can tell like the hit hints of um, berry in it. You can definitely I don't know that I smell the pecan in it, but I do smell the fig. It does. Yeah. It has a rich. It's rich, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the taste is amazing. I like it. I like it. I like Definitely it too. Like I do. It I really, and I, 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 I really thought it was going to be too sweet for me, but it's, it, it, it's definitely sweet enough. But like you said, the pairings, it is really. If I was to pair this like with some dark chocolate or something, I think it would be really good. Mm -hmm. But I'm giving Nightjar a five overall. I'm gonna give it a four, just because I like sweet. I mean, this is a little bit more sweeter than I would like, but I still would give it a four. But it's still good. I would buy it again. Okay. I know this is your favorite, one of your favorites. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. I like it a lot. All right, friends. Well, we would love your feedback on this week's episode and the wine of the week. You can keep up with us and share your feedback by visiting us on our Instagram page at WhenFriendsWine, or you can email us at WhenFriendsWine at gmail.com with your comments and questions. This concludes our episode. We hope you will join us next Sunday at 630 everywhere you podcast. And until next time, bye friends. Bye. I don't need you here to feel good No, I'm not angry, I got better things to do Tell your friends I will be just fine Don't need no therapy
piss, there's nothing like, nothing like wine. 